the black and brown get down is back everyone we took a couple of days off just like a week i guess uh and we're back refreshed and ready to come at their necks and by at their necks i'm definitely talking about our putting you on segment and Trump ass got COVID. COVID. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was a full moon. And um, I cannot believe, I mean, when I tell you my whole timeline was dominated with Blue Highs Unite, like <laughs> the people have been doing their spiritual work because <laughs> on this. Um, oh, don't, don't forget, keep, moon, hope, keep hope alive. <laughs> right. On, on this full moon um it came to pass that um america found out that trump had covid and while we wish um nothing um you know no bad ill on anyone it was just uh like damn i told you so the leadership that's coming out of dc Mm. has got to realize put your damn mask on like and yeah, it was funny as hell that Hope, uh, what, what is she, his press secretary or what is she? Uh, his aide um, gave him the Rona. And uh, so we got to keep Hope alive because uh, Hope did it. So um, yeah, anyway. And again, it was, we're not it saying was, kill the man. We're just saying school him on what he needs well, to be doing. Yeah. I mean, okay, put well, your mask on. Yeah. That's <laughs> <laughs> Put your mask on. I mean, I right. and then you know they had their little. Um, they had an event in the Rose Garden. The, yeah, yeah. Since then, mm-hmm. since their little event, uh, you know, we love to say little when we throw in shade. Uh, <laughs> since their little event, they've been falling like flies. They've just been, you know, every time, every chance. Um, political and cnn and all these you know outlets um get they get to say uh this next person has right this next person have covid and uh one you're not untouchable no definitely not and two put your damn mask on (laughs) like this is not fake right not at all um i mean really it looks like pence might have a little something something after looking at that debate last night with his eye um so shout out to kamala harris for asking for protection (laughs) that barrier like i don't understand you have these people of power in positions who are well should be taking advantage of you know masks especially in the healthcare and and advice from the health advisors because they're rubbing well not rubbing shoulders because we're socially distancing but they're right next to them so it's like why are you not taking this seriously and what we know is right that our healthcare system still works for the most powerful, it does not work for everyone. Uh, while he's over there, you know, bashing healthcare for all, right? He sure did get on his, um, helicopter. you know, uh, helicopter. Mm-hmm. What was it? It was a helicopter. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, took somebody, him to Walter Reed. What, what was it? Right. Took him to Walter Reed. I was going to say helicopter one. I don't know what the hell that name, <laughs> the name of the helicopter is, but he got on the helicopter, went and you know, perused around the corner to Walter Reed and um, not to be confused with other hospitals that folks have to go that may not have all the resources, right? Um, Chris Christie, same thing. Like other people, you know, just uh, who have gotten corona will just check themselves in, not because they really, you know, need the help, right? Whereas all of these hospitals, they're being told to turn people away unless they really need to be on a ventilator because they don't want these beds taken up. Uh, And how nice and fancy of you to just check yourself in. It's uh, irresponsible. It's, uh, It's on our taxpayers' money, like the money that comes out my check, is paying for that, right? And yo check. And so, um, you know, it, it's just, it's really irresponsible. It's sad and um, embarrassing. Definitely. And then also, I don't know if you saw recently, he's now saying he feels great. 
and that this has been a blessing in disguise. It's kind of like, wait, are you saying you you rebounded from COVID nineteen? You a seventy four year old overweight man, um, come on, <laughs> unhealthy beyond measure, is just able to bounce back from COVID, and it's really it's a slap in the face to all the individuals who have had family members hurting, dying, you know, and just pleading for their, for their lives, pleading for resources, pleading for what have you just to, you know, make it another day. And here you are waltzing in front of America saying, Oh, I feel great. I have this COVID-19 cocktail. What? Yeah. I mean, they just continuously do things that, um, allow i mean you know the body count for this country is um the highest you know amongst wealthy nations and people have really you know especially our community has been hit so hard and uh it's a shame that this would continue to uh happen and but he's a joke certain things like you know at the um, debate, the VP debate, uh, apparently the Trump campaign uh, left a ticket for Tupac Shakur um, because uh, Senator Kamala Harris said that that's her favorite rapper, mm. right? Wow. So things like that, it's just like, you can't make this shit up, yeah. right? It's embarrassing and um, it's really something that I hope we no longer have to see right? Yeah. come 2021. I just feel like it's very irresponsible for the leader of the free world to act like a clown of the free world and just dismiss science, dismiss the suggestions from doctors on how to social distance, on how to wear a mask or whatnot. But you're seeking re-election. You're seeking an opportunity to continue being a quote-unquote leader, but you're not leading by example. So if anything Trump is showing us is that he's going to continue to not only make a mockery of this country, but also dismiss his own health. Um, So it just shows the level of ignorance that we are dealing with at hand. Right. I mean, and he tweets one he lets us know by twitter that he got corona and he lets us know by twitter that he's leaving um the hospital right and his message to the american people is don't let it dominate your life the fuck like we're in a whole global pandemic and um it has dominated our life because mm-hmm. it's decimated our communities. Absolutely. So, I mean, what you talking about? Right. You know? And, and this economy that he's so, you know, hell-bent on, on yes. trying to quote-unquote save. How are you going to save with sick people? Right. And so the polls are saying, you know, that there's still a lot of people, a lot of us that are voting for his ass. So uh, get your people Get your people together. You got, <laughs> you know, less than 30 days. Right. Um, so, yeah, you know, it's just um, really something that we have to, um, you know, rebuke. Because um, say that, say as, that. as the old saints <laughs> right, uh, used to say, uh, he just, you know, is... Um, it's just a damn shame. And, you know, Pence is a damn shame too. And I don't want to get into it, but that damn fly on his <laughs> head. <laughs> yeah, it just yeah. shows, uh, you know, the lack of care, the lack of um, humanity yeah. uh, that these folks have in their hearts. It's a shit uh, show. For, Let's just keep it real. For us. That's yeah. why that fly was so, on his head. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, I saw the beautiful meme uh, on Alicia Garza's page with like Kamala and and Fly Swatter, um, and uh, Cardi put out this video of herself like yelling at the TV, <laughs> uh, and just because you know it's something my boy um, Dr. David Wallace, shout out to Dr. David Wallace. Um, 
said that when we're talking about education and when we're talking about education policy, when we're talking about, um, you know, the type of work that uh, my organization does around like, you know, suspension rates and, and um, uh, you know, kids getting expelled from school, it's usually because they're speaking out of turn, right? Mm-hmm. Like Trump and Pence the whole damn time. It's usually because they're not following directions, right? And this is what my friend David was telling me. And it's, it's you know, because somebody um, has said that that's, that's uh, there's zero tolerance for that. Right. But here you have the leadership in this country who is doing the very same thing. And uh, there are people who still want to believe in that type of leadership. Uh, Meanwhile, our black children, our brown children are being uh, expelled from schools, are being, uh, you know, uh, suspended because of this type of behavior. And so it's, it's a sad day. It's, um, it's really frustrating and I had nothing else to say. I'm done. Get to the polls and wear a damn mask. Yes. And sanitize. Right. And wash your butt. And stay six <laughs> feet apart, man. What? Right. Yeah, I'm coughing on my neck. <laughs> oh, God. Anyway, uh, moving along. Um, welcome to my favorite segment, Black Love, Brown Pride. You know, we talk to um, some of the best people in our community and the best folks doing work to both um, make sure that we're free and make sure that we're healthy and thriving and joyful. And this week we're talking to Omero Lopez, who his job is literally to free people. Omero Lopez is the executive director and managing attorney at Isla. Isla provides pro bono legal representation to our people behind enemy lines in ICE detention centers here in Louisiana. He is the son of a migrant worker. Omero um, grew up moving all around the country, all around the Midwest, um, and living in immigrant communities. Before co-founding Isla, he was the managing attorney at Catholic Charities in New Orleans and oversaw their legal team. He is also an adjunct associate professor of law at Tulane University. Welcome, Omero. Thank you for having me. Yeah, Appreciate it. excited about the conversation. One of the things, so I'm from California, and y'all know it's all... Uh, Chicano, Mexican, I don't want to say all, but my life is for sure painted by that type of upbringing. And when I came to New Orleans, I was like, yo, where the tacos at? Where my people at? Where the Mexican flag? (laughs) Where are the Chicanos at? And so uh, I'm just curious uh, for you to tell me more, a little bit about sort of your early experiences with community. We always ask this very same question on every single show, which is what is your earliest memory of community and what draws you to this work? And then whose spirit do you bring to the work? Um, I had that same experience, though, coming to New Orleans, right? I'm from South Texas, 98% Mexican-American kind of background, and come to New Orleans, it's like, whoa, where's all the, where's all the, where's like, well, not the Latinos, because there's a large Honduran population, but where are all the Mexicans? Where's the tacos? Where is the this part? Um, and you're so, from, yeah, like, had, deep, take, tell us about where you're from in Texas. You're from the Valley. Um the valley, yeah, El Valle, um, south, uh, south, south Mexico. I mean, South Texas, North Mexico. So I like to call it. Um, folks are always like, "Oh, you're from San Antonio." It's like, no, keep going. Like you have to cross <laughs> a checkpoint to get to San Antonio from where I'm from. Like that's how far south we are. Basically, like 15 minutes from the border with Mexico. Um, so yeah, McAllen, Edinburgh area is uh, where I'm from, the Rio Grande Valley. And so, yeah, coming here was a was a big shift in that approach. But, you know, getting to to your question, the earliest memory of community that I can draw from or that I do draw from is my mom was a migrant worker. And so I grew up in the migrant communities, you know, working the fields in the Midwest, moving around a lot before high school. I didn't go to the same school for any year ever. I constantly because we're constantly moving around as part of the nature of the work. 
And so the community of the migrant workers themselves, right, being out there, that hard work, the waking up before the sun um, came up, the going, not leaving the field until after the sun went down. Um, and something that we're seeing now also, when you think about who's picking the fields, who's doing this work, especially like out in California, where you have the wildfires and COVID going on, and you've got that backdrop when you see folks picking the fields and doing this work and still putting themselves out there, given all the craziness going on around them. Um, that's the community that I grew up in. Mm. And in, in within that community, so this was mostly in the Midwest, within that community, um, because it's so out in the middle of nowhere and in rural areas where this work is being done, there was a small troop of attorneys that would come out to the fields to do these like little theater productions, right? It's kind of like Teatro Campesino style from, um, from the 70s, where they would come out and they would do these little know your rights types of productions. And so that was another thing that like helped me understand leadership within the community and going and meeting folks where they are to provide them the services they need yeah. so that they don't get exploited by their landlords or their bosses. Or if they get into a domestic violence situation, they knew where, where they could go and who they could reach out to. So those are, for me, that's the type of um, community that I tend to draw from. As for spirit, it, comes from my mom you know she's a single mother who moved with four kids to the midwest to do this work without knowing anybody um, just to get us ahead and make sure that we had something to get by and an education and provided for and so she's the one that's kind of like spearheaded this whole thing and she's her spirit and you see her and you meet her and she's just like lights up a room everyone loves her she's really hilarious and awesome um and a great tortilla cook which mary yo i slammed those tortillas (laughs) i yeah it was a gift thank you and for those who um who are in new orleans look hit omero up we'll make sure that he's tagged in all of our info (laughs) get you a dozen or two of those bomb tortillas so you mentioned earlier how attorneys would come out and just kind of school people on the laws that were in their favor. Uh, Many people don't realize immigrants facing deportation aren't even entitled to public defenders. So Isla provides defense attorneys for free in a system that was designed to not have public defenders. Tell us about that. Yeah. So unfortunately, in immigration proceedings, you're not entitled to an attorney, right? You have the right to an attorney. You can have an attorney in the process, but the government will not provide you one if you cannot afford one. Unlike what we hear on TV all the time, right? You will be provided an attorney. In a criminal case, you will. But what the courts have said is that immigration proceedings are civil in nature. And since they're civil proceedings, they don't carry. Apparently, deportation is not a harsh enough um, consequence to justify providing an attorney to somebody. So what you end up with is folks going to court who don't have an attorney representing themselves in typically a foreign language under legal structures that they don't understand, right? Most of of us don't understand the legal structures in the US and um, in a foreign language and against a trained attorney from the government. So the government is always represented by an attorney, but the person who's being deported, who has less rights in the whole process doesn't have somebody there to present them and represent them and help them through that process. So what we try to do at ISLA is provide free legal services to those folks so that they can have at least a shot, right? One, they can understand what's going on and they can present their case. But what we kind of also see as to some extent is more important is having the dignity of having somebody there with you, having somebody witness that process and walk you through it and help you out. Even if it's somebody who wants to take an order of removal and be deported from the country, that's cool. Whatever the client wants it's just the, the process of not being alone and not being afraid in the situation where you don't understand what's going on and being able to have a situation where you have somebody there with you helping you through that process is, you know, under what we're supposed to be as a country, right? Due process and justice dictates that we should have this, but we don't. And was just like decent in any country. Yes. You know, it's just the <laughs> decent, humane thing to do. Um, yeah. yeah, you know, and then on top of everything, obviously, you know, we're um, 
under COVID and uh, under the cloud of COVID. And it just really made everything a lot more complicated, but it's really sort of allowed us to see the already um, inequities that existed. Uh, So it really just fucked everything up, right? And um, I'm just curious for you, like to give us a sense of what's sort of the new reality now that um, our people who are behind bars, who are, um, you know, uh, detained right now, what's sort of, you know, what's the, what's happening right now during COVID for them? Yeah. Um, I mean, we knew before COVID started, or as soon as we heard about COVID, that people in detention, people in prison, we're going to suffer worse, right? There's all the things that we're told that need to be done to avoid the spread cannot be done in these prisons, right? In prison, in criminal prisons, in immigration detention centers, same thing. You cannot socially distance. You cannot constantly wear masks. People don't constantly wear masks. There's people coming in and out on a regular basis. There's no way to, especially with these private prisons that make money off of every day and every person that they keep in there for every day, you just, there's no incentive for them to provide the necessary protection for folks. And we saw the crazy spikes in detention centers and these huge outbreaks across the board and across the country, right? Places like Adelanto in California and um, here locally, Richwood in North Louisiana, when Um, Winfield and Winfield, Louisiana, we saw these crazy outbreaks because these places don't have the ability to to do it, to socially, like I said, socially distance, wear masks, provide hand sanitizer or other things necessary to be able to prevent the spread. And also ICE doesn't necessarily care, right? Like what's, they're trying to deport folks anyways to get them out of the country. And there's been a lot of reporting from the New York Times and from other folks that they deported people who had COVID. Mm, they basically, right. ICE sent, like the U.S. government was sending COVID abroad by deporting folks who were actively infected with COVID and contagious. Further destabilizing countries that they had already um, destabilized with American imperialism. Yeah. And part of that, you know, like um, to kind of give a little bit of the of the background to Louisiana specifically for immigration, in 2017, Louisiana had these great criminal justice reform bills that were passed by the governor and the state legislature, a Republican state legislature and that in people, Louisiana. Organizers fought really hard for on the ground. Correct. Yeah. No, it was great work from the ground that made this work, and it was a great process that went forward and what that led to. But because Louisiana was the number one incarcerator of people in the world, then these communities in these areas in rural Louisiana still relied on these prisons in order to make money, right? To get jobs and make money. And so in swoops ICE and ICE is like, hey, we'll pay you double what you were getting from the state to imprison immigrants. Just give it a little paying job, change the name of the thing, and you can have your jobs back at a better pay. And so they did. And that led Louisiana from being the eighth or ninth, the state with the eighth or ninth largest detained immigrant population to becoming the second, the state with the second largest detained immigrant population in the country, just behind Texas. And while other states like California are outlawing private prisons and private detention centers, Louisiana was accepting them. And unlike states like California and Texas that have robust, large nonprofits that provide this kind of support for immigrants in detention, Louisiana really didn't, Mm -hmm. um, or still really doesn't. And so what we, that's part of the part where we step in, but it's also why going back to COVID, Louisiana accounts for about 15% of the COVID positive cases, people that have tested COVID positive in detention. And we know they're not testing everybody, but of folks that have been tested, about 15% of the ones that have come out positive are in the state of Louisiana in detention. Which is huge because the rate of, you know, um, any city like New York City or, you know, us where we're at now is like a one, two percent rate, right? So that's um, really, really huge. Um, I also wanted to ask you specifically, um, during this time, we learned from Don Wooden, um, a black woman who was a whistleblower and, uh, really 
revealed that there was illegal hysterectomies that were um, being performed in ICE uh, detention centers. And so we're talking about uh, illegal sterilizations. We're talking about genocide. This is not the first time that the U.S. has conducted anything like this, right? Um, And Dawn is really a part of a long legacy of women, specifically Black women, who uh, have spoken out and who have been whistleblowers, right, in these types of situations. Um, And it's also, again, because doctors in um, the U.S. have um, done these types of practices uh, to specifically Black and Brown women. I know, you know, this happened to many Puerto Rican women, um, you know, uh, decades past. And so, it's really about the destruction of our families. It's about, you know, a direct attack on um, Black and uh, Brown women, right? And our bodies, like I said, you know, it's something that I think got some attention, but uh, I'm just wondering, like, why more people aren't talking about it and how this um, is just one of the practices that is happening in detention centers that we don't know about illegal practices. Right. Yeah. And there's a lot of these illegal practices, especially when it comes to medical care in detention centers. One of the main complaints we get from clients is how terrible the medical care is, right? Somebody who's, you know, saying I have this terrible fever or I have this terrible pain in my back or I have, you know, a tooth that needs to be pulled or whatever. And they're like, oh, here's some ibuprofen. And that'll be all they get. And that's when they do get a response, right? There's times where you have to wait three, four, five days before you get a response or get any kind of coverage or any kind of attention from the medical guards. And to use COVID again, there are people who are hiding having COVID symptoms because it meant you were going to be put in solitary Mm. because they didn't have, they didn't have like a medical unit. They basically made their solitary confinement unit into their medical unit using quotes there because they don't, again, there was no way within the detention center to fix, to address this issue. What Dawn Wooten did is incredibly brave and she put herself out there. And that is incredibly scary. I can only imagine what she's going through um, or I can't even imagine what she's going through in in putting herself out there. And unfortunately, that's what we have seen that needs to be done repeatedly for ICE because it's basically an unchecked agency. No one really reviews them. No one's really holding them accountable. They constantly go over their budget on a yearly basis. They hide people in the middle of nowhere, right? Irwin Detention Center, which is um, where Don Wooten came out with this, is in rural Georgia. Most, all of the detention centers in Louisiana are three, minimum three hours away from any metropolitan area in the country. And that's in a radius, right? That's not just from New Orleans. That's from Houston. That's from Dallas. That's from Memphis. They're just purposefully placed in these very rural, isolated areas so that people don't see it, so that communities aren't available to engage and participate and be part of that and bring attention to it. And so somebody like Dawn doing this and bringing this to light is incredibly important and incredibly necessary. And we need to bring more attention to it it has unfortunately fallen out of the news because, you know, it got picked up and then the president went and did something crazy and everyone started paying attention to that. And then there was a debate and then the president got infected and no one's talking about it because again, as is typical in this situation, immigrants, black and brown bodies are disposable and something that we can ignore and move on to the next thing um, without paying attention to the issues at hand. Yeah. So when you think about immigration, many people automatically identify it as a brown issue, but data shows us that it's also a black issue as well. For example, black people are more likely to be deported. So can you talk to us about that? Yeah. I mean, I think one, which is obviously part of the black and brown get down and, you yes, know, Mary. black and brown get down. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> Those two things are not distinct like necessarily mutually exclusive right like in latin america we have in in the latino culture we do have a terrible anti-black bias and we have anti-blackness within our culture that we need to address definitely need to do it Mm -hmm. but there are plenty of black folk within 
that are also Latino, right? There's Afro-Latinos, the Garifunas from, um, from Honduras, Black folk from the, from the Dominican Republic, from Cuba, mm-hmm. from Puerto Rico. Like there, we, we have Black folk within Latin America. So when we talk about the face being brown, it's because we're talking about Latinos. But a lot of those Latinos are also Black. Even right, right. Yeah. They they don't necessarily identify that way, mm-hmm. but they are. Which is a separate issue, but we'll a get whole, to that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but something that obviously you know the black and brown get down and things like this are are trying to get at. Um, but not only you know not only within that, which is something that's not typically identified, right? Mm-hmm. Afro Latinos are not typically identified as being black folk. They're being they're identified as brown or as Latinos, mm-hmm. and and so they don't get tabulated for better word, for lack of a better word in that way when it comes to to showing deportation and it's a way of erasure um, within the system to make sure that you're not addressing this as a black issue but instead as a black as a brown issue but what we've seen is yeah black folk are um, more likely to be deported um, we've seen that with Haitians specifically um, in in our history and what we're seeing now, is a large amount of folks, I think it's the largest amount of Africans showing up at the southern border of the United States seeking entry to the United States that we have seen in our history. And a lot of folks that we see personally here in in, um, Louisiana are folks from Cameroon. There's a civil war going on in Cameroon that's been going on for two years between the Francophone and the Anglophone speakers in the country and people are fleeing Cameroon and coming to the U.S. seeking asylum. And again, goes back to, you know, like Mary said earlier, American imperialism, when it comes to, we go and get involved in these countries, destabilize them, and then leave as though there's not gonna have anything to do with us in the future. Right, right. right. We're not gonna be involved. We did our part, peace, we're out. Mm-hmm. But, you know, chickens come home to roost kind of thing. And so we go and cause problems, people come back and try to come and find safety in America, since that's what we're allegedly promoting abroad is democracy and safety and freedom. Well, if people want to be free, they're going to come and seek it at the country that promotes it as the, as the biggest thing that they have. So right. yeah, we, we've seen this huge spike in um, Africans coming to the United States. And just take a moment to think about that, right? Crossing the ocean and finding a way to get yourself across and then getting through, depending on where you where you land, most folks are going into Brazil and then making their way up, going through all of those countries when you don't speak that language, yep. right? You don't speak Spanish. You don't know who to engage with. There's a lot of threats on the way through here, through there. It's a scary process that they have to go through to get here. Right. Yeah. Definitely. The anti-blackness the that and, exists in Latin America and going through exactly. every single one of those countries, I cannot imagine. Exactly. Yeah. And so what what folks are going through and then for our country to say, oh, you're just trying, this is completely fake, right? You're this is all false. Asylum is fake. No one's really afraid. You're just trying to get some kind of benefit from the United States. But that's our response. Mm-hmm. And that people keep on coming is the thing. Like, even though the world knows this is the response from the government, folk, folks keep on coming, which still gives, you know, that little bit of faith in the country of being like, people still view us in a good way. Right. <laughs> so, man. Um, okay, let me, let's move to some of the uprisings that have been going on recently uh, throughout the summer. Um, essentially, what they're calling attention to is defunding the police and abolishing our prisons. So people often look at incarceration and detention centers as like separate issues, um, but in actuality, they're one and the same. Um, with the government making tons, like millions upon millions upon millions on black and brown bodies left and right, uh, what more can be done to connect these issues for people? How can we expose what's going on? I think, you know, again, not to blow up, air up y'all's uh, behinds, but nah, nah, I like it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, no, do more, please. Say more. <laughs> Say it in a different um, way. <laughs> <laughs> but again, you know, groups and and programs like this, where where it's bringing programs together, bringing black and brown folk together in a way that you identify that the issues are the same, right? It's not 
it's not like ICE created or is smart enough to create a new system. They're just replicating the same thing that's been happening in the criminal justice system, right? The laws are written the same way. The policies are done the same way. The way that ICE goes up and does their raiding of folks in the community is done the same way that police go and, you know, stop and frisk. Like it's that same kind of approach that's being taken. And so we need to recognize that whole, you know, being stronger together kind of thing. There's a, there's a book that I read in college called The Presumed Alliance, which is about black and brown folk. Um, everyone presumes that you would work together because you suffer the same things. And so therefore you would come together and you'd be strong, you'd work together. But because of divide and conquer and how white folks have come in and taken over in this way of saying like, oh, I'm gonna pit you against you and therefore I'm gonna take over and be, and be the one in charge that's historically built in there, right? And that's something that we need to find a way as community organizers, as groups on the ground, to bring folks together, get over anti-Blackness in the Latino community. Um, I mean, within the Black community, get over anti-immigrant type of sentiments as well, where they're coming to take your jobs, right? They're gonna gonna displace Black workers. Um, Those types of sentiments and that type of, that is ingrained, it's been built into the system. And that's part of the white supremacy that has led folks to to go against each other. We at Isla have been working a lot trying to make that happen. I know, you know, Mary and Rostravos has been doing a lot to try to make that happen as well. Um, part of, during COVID, we teamed up a lot with Vote. Um, I don't know if y'all know about Vote here in, in New Orleans, um, Voice Voice of the Experience. It's formerly incarcerated folks that are working to get people out and to and prisons. Um, they, we worked a lot with them to put on, you know, liberation luncheons, to do these types of events, to explain to folks that prison detention, it's the same damn thing. Mm-hmm. And you need to address it as one thing. And to go back to what I said earlier, with those 2017 um, um, criminal justice reforms that we had in Louisiana, the discussion of immigration didn't come up, right? It was about getting people out of prison for, you know, simple possession and low level crimes. But there wasn't somebody at the table to have that conversation of, hey, what if ICE comes in? How are we going to prevent that from happening and continuing to imprison people, which is exactly what came. And in not having that conversation and not inviting other people into the uh, the table and have those conversations as the larger issue, I think that's going to continue to negatively affect the communities. And when we talk things about like defunding ICE, I mean, defunding, yes, definitely also defund ICE. Um, yeah, defunding the Polish police. Polish all that shit. <laughs> right, right. Um, and, but in defunding the police, like one of the things which connects to the, to one of the earlier things you also talked about is public defense. Like we should have people def- being publicly funding immigration defense and criminal defense should be funded at a much better, for example, here in, in New Orleans, it should be funded at a much higher level than it is. We're not putting money into those things and instead we're putting more money and continue to put money into imprisoning the district attorney and putting people into jails and having private prisons make money off of black and brown bodies. So what about like the hurdles um, when tackling some of these policies and laws that are in place? What are are some things people, say out here in California, we can start doing to, I guess, get the ball rolling outside of like protesting and, and, and of that nature. How do we really get into the, a lot of the issues going on in America um, for black and brown people are the, the way these policies and laws are written. So how can we get to the bottom of that? We need to get Mary elected, you know, that's what we need to do. <laughs> right. For the listeners, I mean, all metal is a good friend. So he's doing the most right now. But okay, yeah. We, no, no. But we need to get folks into these positions of power, right? We need to have representation in these positions of power. We need to have people there making these decisions. Um, so like voter know, education... And also educating, like for us here in um, New Orleans, one of the things that we really have focused on is like, how do we um, provide the political education and both sort of the understanding on the issues to um, members of the Black Caucus, right? Uh, And folks who 
you know, should be aligned, right? But oftentimes are not. One, because they don't know the issues or again, Mm -hmm. that white supremacy is kicking in. And if you have to Mm -hmm. prioritize some of the bills that you're going to move, you're not going to move bills that you think aren't a part of, you know, your constituents' issues. And so it's really about us, you know, doing that work, um, you know, within our community. And that's why at the Black and Brown Get Down, we believe that it's just so critical that we get us informed like we get us ready to at every table when if you're sitting at a table and you don't see someone who should be there that you say yo this person needs to be there yeah and identifying it within the community you know like calling out your own biases calling out your own friends and folks within the community I have it with my mom on a regular basis you know she'll make a random racist comment. I'm like, mom, you know, I've got two little girls. I'm like, I don't need you saying this around them. Like, I, you need to calm that down um, and just calling that out because otherwise, again, it's part of, it's ingrained. It's ingrained in the language. It's ingrained in the system. And it's something that if we don't call it out at the low levels, we're, it's not going to come across at the, at the higher level. Um, but yeah, voter education, getting strong people to run you know, folks that are going to help the community to run for office and get elected and get them in there. You know, one thing that struck me last night when um, during the debate, the vice presidential debate was um, where um, where Kamala Harris said of the 50, I think it was judges that have been appointed to the appeals courts in the last three, almost four years in the Trump administration, not a single one of them has been black. Mm. And it's like, again, representation matters, right? If Absolutely. somebody comes from the community and we think of things like when Brock Taylor, you know, raped that woman out in California and he didn't get a sentence because that judge could could um, relate to the family and like how difficult it's going to be on him for him to lose his scholarship and his career. It's like, right. And if it was a black dude, you probably wouldn't have been able to relate to him the same way. And so that that type of representation, that really matters um, for people to see themselves and for community to be represented that way. And so I joke about Mary being uh, elected, but yeah, you know, get folks from the community into these positions of power. And who are going to have the courage really to to speak on the issues because it's so hard. I mean, it's so easy to think you will, but then you get right up in front of, you know, at the table mm-hmm. or at the mic and, you know, just like Dawn, like you're taking on a whole system and the shit is scary, but the more we can practice being fearless um, at the face of white supremacy and at these policies, uh, that's how we get free every single day. So um, you talked about having, um, I talked about fearless leaders. Uh, You talked about having little girls. Your little girls are, I've seen them in action. They are um, a beast on the, (laughs) 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 Um, just at like playing and, you know, being uh, young leaders and being themselves. How do you do all of it? Like you're waking up at four o'clock in the morning, trying to probably even before then, probably two o'clock, trying to get to a uh, detention center to defend our people. And you're also a husband. You're also a son. You're also an adjunct professor at Tulane, a father. I mean, do you have more than 24 hours a day? (laughs) I had 24. How many do you have? All I've got. I've got the same. Um, I mean, I think I think part of what you say there, right? Like I'm a son, I'm a husband, which also means I'm lucky to have an incredible partner who understands this fight and recognizes the harm that our communities are suffering and is, you know, going through it as well and is sacrificing time that we would spend together and under in knowing that the reason for that is this greater fight that we're going through, right? I have a mom who helps with our daughters, who, you know, takes care of them during the day, who cooks us great food and supports. And so it's it's the community more than it is. It's not me, right? I I benefit from these community aspects that I have. It's not the fact that I that I can do it as well. It's the fact that because I have these things in in my life, I can also, and I have these people in my life, I can also do it. Um, 
the do- my daughters, right? They help keep me sa- sane and stable and remove me from the crazy. If I wasn't locked in on the craziness of the work all the time, I probably wouldn't last as long as I have doing the work because they, they remove you from it. it yeah forces you to have to pay attention to this random lizard that just ran across the the sidewalk and now that's all you're focused on and you're going to go find where that lizard went um and so like that that kind of stuff that gives you an outlet it gives you something out of it um again my wife is wonderful and she does great work and raising our daughters and in helping take cover that slack whenever i'm not around my mom does the same by coming in and helping and taking care of them so it's not that I'm also being a husband. It's the and a son and whatnot. It's that because I am a husband and a son and I have this additional support. That's the reason I can do it. It's not because I have some kind of superpower. Yeah. Um, yeah, you're leaning on your community. Yeah. Um So I'm sorry, Mary. Were you about? To oh say yeah, that? I was to say like, what do you do for fun? <laughs> well, right now during COVID, not a whole lot. Um, <laughs> I go, I bike around with my daughter, my three-year-old who loves to, you know, ride her bike around and eat a bunch of ice cream. Um, at the beginning of COVID, our ice cream budget went through the roof because <laughs> we had nothing else that we could take. Which I was like, all right, let's go buy more ice cream. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, on a regular basis, hang out with friends, right? Have little gatherings around the house, have some barbecue in the back. Um, still a Texas boy at heart, so cook out, do the, do the barbecuing and, um, and then New Orleans always provides you with something to do. Libations, something going on. drinks. <laughs> <laughs> There's always something going There's on in New Orleans. There's always some tequila. Okay. All right. <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, with all of that said, how can we support you right now? Um, not only you, but also your organization. Like, what what can we do? Can we send you tokens of love through Cash App or something? <laughs> like, what can we do? Especially when we talk about like the treks that you take morning, day after day after day. So, like, what is it that we can do to help you right now? Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, East Lassa Nonprofit, we run 100% off of donations um, and grants and, you know, funding that way. So, yeah, if anyone has the means and the willingness to to support us, um, islaimmigration.org, I-S-L-A immigration.org, um, we have our donate button on there. We have a Venmo. We have a cash app. I'm almost positive we have a cash app. Um, the handle is at Isla Immigration. Um, and so people can donate. Um, it's tax deductible. We're a 501c3. So anyone who, you know, has tons of money and wants to pay, you know, 750 or less in taxes a year can go ahead and send us a ton of money and get it deducted. Anyone who wants to send a quick milli, I mean, go ahead. Yeah, I'm just saying, you know, um, on a larger structural level, you know, not only here in New Orleans, but across the country, like I was saying earlier, go to your city council, ask them to fund immigration defense, um, if you're fighting on defunding the police, that's an area where money can go into, right? A public defenders, mental health, creating a defense program for immigrants as well, having, because they're not entitled to immigration defense, right? They're not entitled to an attorney. Fighting it that way, tapping yourself, if you're not from New Orleans and you can't tap in with Isla, tapping in with groups locally, right? Los Angeles, there's uh, IMDEF, the Immigration Defense um, and, um, you know, there's there's immigration defend groups, defender groups all over the country. Al Otro Lado is down in San Diego. There are Raices in Texas, right? There's immigration groups across the country, and there's bound to be one near you. And, you know, tap into those. Tap into groups that you can help interpret, um, especially like we were talking earlier. It's the largest group of Africans we have coming to the United States and being placed in detention. And so if you speak French, if you speak Swahili, if you speak Fanti, if you speak any language that, you know, you can help out with, tap into these groups and see if they need it. If there's any way that you can, that you can help out um, and create, you know, smaller groups on the ground locally. If there isn't one local, be part of it and help build that up. Because it all, you know, as we know, it all starts locally. You build it up from the bottom up and then, you can create change that way. Man, we are so grateful for you. Thank you, Omedal. Um, I'm so honored to call you my friend. And uh, it's just been really like a blessing to um, folks who have been, Isla is pretty new, right? How many years? 
two. Uh, we're going on three. We started in March of 2018. And so, I know that you've been a, a blessing to uh, folks who are detained. Uh, I know um, various people who uh, you all have. I mean, this is a winning team, right? Um, <laughs> you all win asylums all the time. And so uh, just thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for uh, your work and for just being a solid ass person. Uh, we love you and we just uh, wish nothing but the best. And, you know, I hope that somebody listening got that Millie so that they can you know, just hit that donate button. <laughs> <laughs> Thank y'all for having us, for having me and, you know, bringing attention to this issue. Yeah, well. absolutely. Um, okay. Well, Thank you, Omero. And we are now going to be moving um, on to um, the juicy stuff, the juice. (laughs) This week, we're going to start off with some shit I don't want to start off with. But here we go. Uh, Kentucky AG Daniel Cameron was on Saturday Night Live. And we know this because uh, Meg, my girl Meg, uh, oh, yeah. right, <laughs> she is just everything. She was on Saturday Night Live and uh, she came through with a powerful message. Uh, and that powerful message was, uh, it brought into um, the conversation, Daniel Cameron and the bullshit he'd leading over in Kentucky with the Breonna Taylor case that there's still so much to talk about. Um, but specifically things that I, um, I want to just highlight being able to speak truth to power is something that I hope this podcast is, um, promoting. I hope that all of our activism, all of our organizing is promoting, right? Because being courageous when you have the mic and being able to speak to shit when you have a mic in your hand and when you have a platform like Meg the Stallion does is so critical. Uh, I love Tamika Mallory. Uh, so she spoke on, she was on Saturday Night Live, Meg, and, and she spoke on the work uh, and the words of Tamika Mallory. And, um, and she also, you know, which is, uh, she said, Daniel Cameron is no different than the sellout Negroes that sold our people into slavery. That shit stung. It was message. Message. Mm-hmm. Okay. It ain't nothing new that we don't know though. Mm-mm. Right. And, and we I, see I Daniel love... Cameron's throughout the test of time. So right. Which is why representation enough is not enough, mm-hmm. right? Representation in itself. Um, but uh, you know, she also Meg um gave us uh, something from uh, Baba Malcolm X, 1962 uh, speech where he really talked about, and, you know, we see the memes and all of this. um, So, you know, dig into the speech if you want the primary source um, that the black woman is the most disrespected, unprotected and neglected person in America. She's both talking about Breonna Taylor, but she's also talking about herself with this, um, you know, bullshit that she had to go through with uh, Tory Lanez and him shooting her. Um, and so, you know, I I love and respect Meg for uh, using her platform and being able to talk about this shit because, you know, it's it's easy to hide and, you know, shit, she hurt. She got shot. Mm-hmm. You know, this was probably someone she was really into. And, he, you know, he inflicted violence on her. And, you know, we see... Um, and, and people not protecting black women. So, um, yeah, I just appreciate her and I love her. And shit, you can't tell me nothing about Megan Thee Stallion. Mm-hmm. I stand for her. I just want to shout her out for using, again, Mary, using her platform. Um, it takes a lot of courage to stand up there and speak out. And you alluded to that earlier. But when you think about Saturday Night Live, you think about the just the audience that tunes into that. It ain't just people that look like us. So, you know, to have the courage and use your platform 
to speak out against injustice on any level is is dope. I just love the way that she did it. She went about it in a prolific way. And uh, shout out to Meg. Yeah, and I mean, and if you have 200 followers on, you ain't got to have one point something followers like right. I do. One point something million. You know, I didn't hit that milli Speak status. that, speak that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, if you have 200 followers like Joe does, talk to your 200 followers. Every you day. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, talk to your 200 followers. <laughs> um, and, you know, speak truth to power and take every opportunity that you have. You may not have a Saturday Night Live, but you got your 200 followers, Joe. So get into it. Uh, be courageous like Meg. i'll just have my back when the people come against me and you know try to spew hate so that's all i ask thank you shout out to the strong 200 i got yeah and i'm gonna keep it positive i don't want to talk about daniel cameron no motherfucking more because he came back with a weak little comeback and guess what we're not here for that Uh bye all right go on and he honk down Bye. the road, away from us. Right. Um, what else do we have? Who else we showing love to? Shout out to LeBron James, the king, the king, the king, the king, the king. Right. Um, LeBron James has been, you know, utilizing his pro his platform uh, more often. Not only him, but all the athletes. Um, especially the ones in the bubble. Um, shout out to the NBA and the stances that they're taking, especially when it comes to uh, voter suppression. The owners of these arenas are opening themselves up so that voters can come in and vote. Uh, they don't have to necessarily deal with the issues of um, mailing your, your ballots in or whatnot. Um, so that's one thing I'd like to Shout out. Also, LeBron James in general has been spending millions of dollars um, to fight against voter suppression. Uh, More recently, he also helped donate over $100,000 to pay fines for uh, ex-felons seeking the ability to vote in Florida. Um, You know, it's a really big population of felons throughout the state of Florida. So shout out to people doing good um, to help others you know you have this platform you have this money um and i i just commend him for all everything that he's doing right now leading although he's in a bubble he's still impacting the world outside of that bubble so shout out to not making excuses shout out to using your platform shout out to you know sharing your resources because really that's what it's all about yeah the voter suppression will be real in um in especially swing states, right? But all states, the voter suppression will be real. Uh, We know that we've heard Donald Trump um, specifically call his supporters in to to, uh, suppress the vote. And so uh, we hope that uh, we continue to organize, we continue to show up to um, do voter protection work, as well as if you um, signed up for um, working one of the polls, um, thank you. And in general, you know, the I saw this meme, like, if, you know, you ever wondered um, what you would do during a time of fascism, like, it's probably what you're doing right now. So, uh, get out there, organize, uh, be of good courage because we need you. Um, and there's a lot of shit going on. Definitely so, and Mary, one thing I left out, to, um, oh, go ahead. sorry, uh, the way he's doing this. Uh, so it's not only him though. It's, it's a group of, of athletes that have pitched in and banded together and started this group called more than a vote. And what they're focusing on, Um, are those states where, you know, people don't turn out uh, to vote or there are tons of, you know, uh, well, lack thereof information and disenfranchisement. So that's Ohio, Georgia, Florida, Wisconsin, and Michigan. Um, And he's doing that through collaborative efforts with NAACP, Legal Defense Fund, and other groups um, that have been focused on voter suppression, uh, equality, 
and whatnot. So, yeah. Shout out to LeBron, the king, and shout out to Meg, the stallion. Hey. Um, the queen. Yes. Right. The queen. Uh, and, yep. Also, you know, go register yes. to vote. Please. Register to vote. Go register to vote in Louisiana. The deadline is Tuesday, October 13th. Uh, head to govote.com to make sure you're registered. Um, or whatever your state you're in, like there's all types of resources. Make sure that, you know, you go on your um, Secretary of State's website where you can find more information. Mm-hmm. And out here in California, uh, the online registration deadline is October 19th. Um, also, that's, you know, if you want to mail it in, although we don't really trust that right about now, but, you know, October 19th. And then also, you can register in person on November 3rd. So check out your options, please. Register to vote.ca.gov if you're in California. And now we have the rising ritual. Joe, what are we doing? Well, Mary. Um, so when I thought about the rising ritual, I thought about something that I'm personally going through. Um, for those that do not know, I go to therapy, not because I'm crazy or anything like that, but just because, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on in the world and I don't want to go crazy. So, you know, Can I we ask hear- you, in 2020, are we still announcing that we're not crazy when we go to therapy? Well, I'm just saying, so. you know, there's this negative connotation with therapy that people need to rid, like. Oh, we all need therapy. And, you know, it's from, you know, it's so taboo in our communities or whatnot. So I just felt like I should put that out there. I think more people that go to therapy um, should put that out there and just, yeah, you know, hey, I know since I've been going, it's been motivating some of my friends and family members to go. So, yeah, just wanted to put that out there. But, you know, um, the rising ritual that I wanted to talk about today is affirming your goals in writing or drawing. Um, So when you think about it, this is actually something that we've been told to do throughout the various stages of life, from childhood uh, to when we set foot in a classroom, college, you know, on the job, training or whatnot. Um, But I know since I've been in therapy, uh, goals are always something that I've been sharing on a personal, professional and spiritual level. So I've been pushed to actually not just talk about that those goals but write them down on a piece of paper or put them on a vision board the reason being is that without doing that you know when they're all stuck in your head things are super cloudy um you might try to come back to it at a later date and the pieces just don't add up but if if you're constantly seeing what it is that you want to become it's easier to manifest that Um, So I want to leave everybody with something I just wrote. Anyone can be a dreamer. Only a few catch their dreams. And that's by affirming your goals. Your dreams and goals mean nothing if you aren't putting in work to accomplish them and take them to the next level. And oftentimes your dreams aren't necessarily for you, but are to help provide a blessing for others through you. The first step is applying a pen to paper or putting them on your wall. Set up a timeline and identify your goals on a daily basis. You can choose to stay asleep or you can be proactive and turn your goals into a reality. Peace. Shit, I'm not sleeping. (laughs) (laughs) No, for real. I'm about to draw my goals tonight because guess what? I do think visualizing it is so key, right? Um, And let me get my mouth together. Because I'm blessed to be a blessing. Hello. Um, and it really is, you know, um, being a blessing is so critical and so important. And, you know, at this point, it's a part of my identity. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just who I am. And so I appreciate that. Thank you. I actually do need to, I'd be scared to write, but I think I we're know. all Sometimes I feel write. like, yeah, I mean, not be not from like what, a what grammatical like perspective or anything like that, but more so like, shit. What if somebody finds this? Uh, but guess what? I'm so damn grown. Like, you know, right. who gonna find it? I look for myself. <laughs> like, it's not. Um, so yeah, I appreciate the push on that. And yeah, thank you, Joe. 
Thank you for opening up too. Appreciate that. Oh yeah, no problem. Thank um, you. Yeah. Well, there you have it. That is uh, our episode for the week. Thank you for listening to the Black and Brown Get Down. Subscribe and download on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And leave us a review. Only if you enjoyed it. I don't want to see nothing else but five stars. Right. Um, none of that negativity. Right. Don't bring that shit over here. <laughs> bring that heat to Trump. Don't bring it to me. Uh, slide in our DMs if you have any questions for us or want to recommend a guest. I hope, hope, hope. And I know you love Domino because he was everything. He awesome. gave us life. Uh, follow us on Instagram and Facebook at the Black and Brown Get down. Thank you. Peace. Peace.